This is Season 2, Episode 2 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode, Motivating Different Playstyles, or Show Me the Money. Everyone, welcome again to Mastering the RPG. I'm your host, Carl, with my co-hosts, Eric and James. And you can find information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. That's one word. And you can send us an email, feedback, questions, um, need help with something, whatever, at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Those are both one word. And uh, gentlemen, nice to hear you again on the mics. How are you doing? Going great, thanks, Carl. It's going very well. Beautiful, beautiful summer's day down here in Australia. <laughs> Doing well. Thinking all RPGs. I start playing with my school groups this afternoon. So, uh, yeah, back into the full swing of RPGing full time, which is really, really exciting. Yes, that's awesome. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the other end. I'm trying a couple of new systems, like I talked about last episode. Cyberpunk Red has been really interesting. And then I think there's a couple one-shots where we're going to switch up um, some indie RPGs. So, I'm yeah, when, when I when I played those, I will, uh, I'll report on <laughs> what I think of them. Oh, I'm starting a new one next week. I, I start Spire for the first time. We're going to oh, do nice. a, a five-shot. I'm actually playing in that campaign, so I can report back on uh, how Spire operates as a game. Very it looks, cool. it wow. looks yeah. very cool. Everybody gets to play other games. I don't. Though <laughs> <laughs> um, we did have an awesome moment um, in our Savage Worlds campaign where the we did we love dramatic tasks and we did a dramatic task and there was like yeah. just at the last second, roll the die or fail and we had a critical failure. And <laughs> what do you had we, just I had a critical failure. Yeah, Eric had, had a critical, critical failure. failure. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was very close to dying. I was ended up in space alone. Um, uh, yeah, that wasn't good. It was everything happened bad at once. So that was an exciting. Best moment. part is yeah. they spent all this time trying to pick up some pieces of their spaceship, and they all basically got destroyed because of this critical failure. <laughs> so anyway, that was fun. So we were enjoying that. Um, cool. Awesome. Hey, I did want to throw out. Uh, before we get too far into it, a cool stuff. We have cool stuff found. Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over. Um, at the time of recording, uh, so, uh, the folks at PEG, um, Pinnacle, the Savage Worlds folks, and you know I love Savage Worlds, they've got a Kickstarter going on right now for a martial arts setting called Legends of Ghost Mountain. And yep. that's currently on Kickstarter now. Um, Eric's uh, backed it, so yeah, I backed it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a wuxia wushu um, setting, um, but there's definitely like a twist on it where the martial arts are based on emotion, emotions basically instead of like Shaolin uh, animal styles. Um, it looks like a really rich world. It kind of came out of nowhere, honestly, right, Carl? Like I, I mean, I, I didn't expect it at all. Yeah, I think they said that Shane, who's the creator of Savage World, has kind of been germinating in his brain for a couple years and now they're finally coming out with it so it's definitely it's definitely a um a genre that is underrepresented i think and uh yeah so i'm pretty excited about it excellent yeah we just wanted to drop that out there um because I, 
Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say, and I have one more other Kickstarter that I'm also very interested in that I think I'm going to back. And it's been really hot, too, on Kickstarter. Um, it's called the Oracle Character Generator. And it's this really in-depth. It's all a bunch of cards, and you can pull a bunch of them. And it enables you to generate a lot of NPCs or generate even, like, a backstory if you're a player. Um, and it look, yeah, so it looks really deep, and there's a lot of variety. And, yeah, it's picking up a lot of steam. So I'm definitely going to be backing this as well. Very um, cool. And again, when I when we get it, I'll, we'll do a full um, cool stuff on it for sure. Very very cool. So a couple of great kickstarters we just wanted to get out there for everybody to know about. Now another great thing today, we had some mail. We got some email. Very exciting. Email. So this email is about episode 11 when we went about character backgrounds. Um, and Gary sends us a note um, to us, and he's, I'll read it out for everybody, and then maybe we'll comment a little bit on it. Uh, he mentions, I find it interesting that a lot of people like to start with the brooding hero and the bad boy type of character. You know, <laughs> not all adventures need to be orphans, as we said in the title. Uh, <laughs> he continues, lately I've been enjoying playing the young, naive farm boy that is forced to grow up because of whatever reasons they have gone into the world to make their own fortune. I also like the idea of having a decent child, but just getting wanderlust. You don't have to have a huge dramatic backstory. In fact, it would probably make the story arc of the PC much more dramatic going forward without, I guess. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think for sure we, that, that's part of the reason we titled it. Not all adventures need to be orphans. Yeah. They can have a good life. Yeah. Uh, so, so Definitely. what do you guys think I, of that? I, well, the one thing I would say to that, and that's, and this is something that's just totally not even in the sphere of game playing, but like something that I've come to realize over the years and dealing with my own stuff in my own childhood is that like, you know, it's always important to have perspective, but like everybody has trauma or tragedy and everybody's tragedy is val valid, uh, uh, you know, but like some people's tragedy is very or whatever. Uh, some people, you know, everybody has their, um, uh, maybe not in this tragedy, but everybody has their like challenges, life has challenge. their challenges. Yeah, exactly. And they're all valid. Right. Uh, but other, you know, some it's very light and some it's very heavy. Right. So I think in this case, while you can have this really good childhood, it's still important to have some type of either, you know, uh, flaw or something or you know you could have just a strained relationship maybe with your sibling or something there there's always some hook there to make a character have more depth but he but he's absolutely right like i think that is definitely an underused um trope in playing games we've seen it in fiction a lot i mean there's a couple big book series that kind of like the farm boy but then they often have like you know they're the, like say the dragon reborn right and then there's that one moment where the, the they attack the farm but yeah so i think that's that's a really good take what do, what do you think james Oh, absolutely! It's a, a fantastic trope. I mean, this is the this is the Bilbo Baggins trope, right? You, yeah. You grow yeah. up in a nice, secure little place where everything's in order and everything's in its place, and then the challenges that then emerge become yeah. part of the story. And rather than labouring yourself down with all these things that you've had to overcome before you actually start playing, having the game in front of you where the challenges of the game pro, um, produce your story arc and produce your story, your character development is is yeah. amazing. It's really really cool. You know. And you're risking that status quo, so it's it's the quintessential hero's journey. One thing I did notice when um, Gary had sent this through, it reminded me of a quote. I read this quote; it came out of nowhere. I can't remember where I read it. I read it this week. It was on some Reddit or Patreon or some Twitter feed. But there was a great quote that it immediately reminded me of. It said, "For a change, why not play a character who's interested in humor and fun? 
you'll be surprised how humorous and funny it is. And it, it, it just it just clicked with me. It's like if you're going to play a brooding, dark character, then you're playing a brooding, dark game, aren't you? You're playing, you're playing brooding and dark. So doing something a bit different, playing a naive farm boy, um, sounds like a great change-up. I, I, yeah. I love it. I think it's really cool. Well, you can, play a, you can play a brooding, dark hero who's funny too. That's always a fun challenge uh, to mix <laughs> it up that way. The one thing I also, I also would say about that, and you brought up the Bilbo Baggins, which I think is an interesting an example is that his because he also had that wanderlust, but it was like his wanderlust that made him almost like not really an outcast, but there was conflict there with like the rest of the people because they were so content mm. staying still. So even like, you know, while he has like you have a good childhood, that desire to go adventuring can also just be the the, the, the cause of friction that you had in your early life right because everybody else wanted to just stay at the farm or whatever so like i said even even though you might have a good childhood there still was that friction or you were still a little bit of an outsider because of your desire to be adventurer which we talked about is like you know adventurers are kind of freaks right they're like they're weirdos they, they go they really are crazy things yeah. yeah they don't join the normal thing so yeah that, that's a good uh good take yeah all right awesome well thank you gary so much for uh sending us a note um that was some excellent insight i think and uh, again, anybody else want to send us a note, send us some feedback. It's gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. So thank you much. Or you can drop us something uh, on our Twitter feed. Oh, go ahead, James. And and Gary, keep us updated. Let us know how you <laughs> at the point the point in time yeah. where your your happy go lucky wanderlust farm boy becomes dark and brooding. We'd like yeah, to know the moment that that actually occurred. <laughs> when both his parents are killed and I am Batman. Now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> All right. Well, great. Thank you again. Um, so we're going to get right into the main topic. All right. Our main topic's all about motivating players with different play styles. Not, not necessarily motivating a player character but the players themselves. Um, but we can, we can touch on that as well a little bit. Um, so getting folks excited about the game, motivated, um, you know, excited to participate, it's a challenge. So, so I'll jump in and write with James. James, what do you think uh, one of the biggest challenges or what do you think the kind of challenges are? I obviously have my own take on that for sure. Um, so what are your thoughts kind of uh, – yeah, this is a tricky one, isn't it? And and it becomes more and more acute the longer that your games go for is something that I found. So that, you know, once you're hitting that three-month, six-month, nine-month, year-long campaign, the motivating players as opposed to motivating the characters within the story becomes more and more something that you need to consider. And the challenges for me are the fact that no player, no two player are the same. What may work for one player might not work for another. There are different reasons why people come and enjoy these games. And as a storyteller and games master, trying to make sure that the players are getting what they want out of the game is really one of the main things that we do, right? We, we're creating an entertaining uh, focal point with hopefully an engaging story, but ultimately we're entertaining players and we're hoping that they're motivated enough and enjoying the game enough that they a return and then they engage with the story. So in my mind, this is a core part of what we do. It's a core part of running a game. It's motivating the players to, to want to continue and to want to engage with the story. And, and, and I think uh, it's interesting in the business world, motivation theory is huge, right? Uh, how yes. to motivate your employees. 
And and that's why I, I think about the challenge, and it goes back to, like you said, there's so many different play styles. I literally off the top of my head can think about, you know, the explorer, thinker, people who are motivated by problem solving, the narrator, the narrator, actor, who are all about storytelling and role playing. There's the murder hobo who loves combat, conflict, and that's what they want in a game. Monty Hall, people who are looking for prizes, treasure. Um, you know, people call them the accumulator as well, people who want to collect things. And then I call them munchkins or the power gamer. Not to mean to insult anybody who's a power gamer, but um, they, they love optimization and they love making the game, um, you know, they like beating the system. All those can be something that people want out of the game. And, and three months in, like you said, James, if, if they're not getting that part, they're not getting some storytelling time, they're not getting, they're going to start disengaging with what you're trying to accomplish. So um, there's many models. I mean, I literally off the top of my head, I could think of five of them, different player styles that, that you have to figure out how to keep each one engaged. Eric, you got any thoughts on that? Uh, not too much from what you already guys said. I mean, it definitely on James's point, like as you, you know, as the months roll on, it's it's a problem because you've maybe done a lot of those things that are especially the easier things to to chat, tap on with with players and with their with their whole deal. Um, you've kind of already explored those, and especially with backstory hooks, right? And we talk about this so much, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more here. But you might have already explored their big backstory hooks, right? So, um, uh, and we're not really totally talking about treasure here, although certain items maybe, uh, you know, like. They've already acquired a lot of those, so it's it's just kind of yeah. I think the biggest challenge is is just discovering new ways that go beyond just the obvious um, hooks um, that they have, or the obvious like you know uh, you know the 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 fighter wants a plus three flaming sword, right? That's an easy kind of carrot, and once they get that, it's like well, where do they go from there? You know, how do you from a new type of thing that's maybe not so obvious? So that's definitely the challenge. For sure. Any, uh, James, I thought you were just you were about to jump in there. Any other thoughts that you that you had? I I think there is a whole episode to be had on what are the different types of players that you in, encounter within a game and what motivates them. I guess all I one extra point I was I was going to make is, um, and yes, the, some of these labels about the different types of player, the explorer or the actor or the slayer, the accumulator or power gamer, are easy to use. But it's also the challenge is. It, people aren't as simple as that. That people are a combination of these factors, and, and they, may, yep. they they are looking at more than one way of things to to get out yep. of the game. Um, and one thing that I've found that depending on what you're giving them in part of the game, often players are interested in the thing that they're not getting. I know that sounds a bit funny, but um, you know you might run three set three or four sessions heavily on the role play, and then the next thing you know, your players are chomping at the bit and saying, "We want more combat." It might just be that. So that some things you have to think about a motivation is exactly what Eric has said, which is what has been presented in the far in the past, and what do you need to change up in order to keep it fresh for them in the future? Isn't that kind of like variety is the spice of life, right? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think um, so. I, I think that's the challenge presented. I mean, obviously. As this goes on, it gets tougher. As it goes on, we're trying to match what people are looking for. So let's talk um, a little bit about what we can do, and not just as a game master, but as a player. Because as you know, on this 
on this podcast, we like to give players some advice as well. So we'll definitely want to get into that. But let's start off with the the game master side of things. What understanding those challenges? What are some of the things you think help um, help with that? Um, I don't know, Eric. Do you want to jump in right away, or sure? I can give I can give one of the tips. I mean, what like I said, what, I mean, the obvious thing here. I mean, besides treasure, right, is backstory hooks and we've talked about this we i don't know how many times we've talked about this but we constantly go back to it and it's obvious you know that's that's obviously one way i think one of the things that might get overlooked and it really depends on the system because you know some systems are more combat focused uh, almost all of the abilities are combat focused that you kind of get from it or that's a more narrative system whatever but regardless of that um one of the things that i i think that helps hook players motivates players you know entices them is when you uh you kind of look at their sheet and you see what maybe small kind of ribbon abilities they've taken, or you look at their backstory and you kind of grab something that, that from that. That's not actually one of like the hooks that's obvious, but maybe like, you know, so you present a situation where maybe their knowledge of, you know, they just in their, their backstory said they, they had happened to walk through a city. And then maybe like that becomes, you kind of have a hook there where there's a, somebody from that city and only you know, because of their knowledge they might get a special reward or they're going to really have to use leverage that knowledge to, to get something or with a ribbon ability that's mechanical. I mean, something that doesn't come up that much like D and D is kind of almost famous for these with, with some classes They might have a kind of a silly ribbon ability that never comes up or like backstory um, things, which they're getting rid of now for the new edition. Um, you know, kind of seeing that and then really preventing uh, presenting an opportunity that um, will really utilize that. Like that's almost pivotal, pivot, pivotal to, the conflict or to a some type of reward or a quest. And it really gets the player excited that, oh, here's a thing that I have that's never been used before. And now it really has having that time to shine. So it's just looking for those kind of little things, either mechanically or narrative in their backstories that might've gotten overlooked and kind of really plugging them into something. And as a player, when that happens to me, it's like a big deal, right? And this could also be flavor. Like if you're flavored as your your powers are flavored as being maybe like an ice mage or something you know it, it it kind of well maybe you never had the as a gm it was never in your cards to have something that might like really take advantage of that in like a combat but then having that combat that really does you know that they might be a little bit more powerful that one time and that will really kind of get them excited that they were able to use their abilities so those are some almost like almost like rewards that you're giving to this person because they feel excited to be able to use these things and and that rewards a certain type of player though you you know the the types of player that love their crafted backstory that enjoy having their backstory come to life within the story that enjoys that little uh um flavoring of spells and flavoring of abilities and i know like i've 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 run games for eric and he he's right into that stuff he loves all of those things where the reflavoring of abilities and and the backstory emerging absolutely that that comes true one thing that i that i've found over over the time though is that eventually with a with a group and if we're talking about a group of say four or five role players Eventually, the what comes to the fore are kind of the the broader types of of, of player types will start to lead and influence the group, and and I find that after a while you will get a, almost a group consensus about what will motivate that group, which is a little bit of a different take rather than 
um, focusing on individual players by individual player. Um, okay. a, a good example, I, I had a fantastic group um, that ran through Curse of Strahd, for example. And if I had to look at the kind of archetypes of player type, these guys were optimizers. In a, in a major way. They love optimising their, their story, but they loved acting. They were big storytellers. So they loved the mechanical aspects of the game, but they were big storytellers. And so for me, the accumulation of treasure, too many puzzles, all of those kind of things, they didn't really care. And so you were able to really focus, I was able to focus my energy on the things that really did make them tick. But how do you find that out? How do you know what makes a player tick? Um, how do you how do you first glean that information? I think that's one of the bigger challenges. Well, for for sure, um, and I think the one of the things that we don't we don't do nearly enough is we need to ask people what motivates them or <laughs> what what they understand um, there. But I did want to before I got too far into that, uh, James. I wanted to dig a little deeper into the point you were trying to make there. Um, you said that the the group kind of at some point gels towards a common uh, play style or, or goal, and you mentioned yeah. this this group. But did this this group started off as were there a lot of different individuals looking for different things, and then at some point they all kind of came together and said, you know what, we we like the role playing, we like the this, and we're focusing our whole adventure going, you know. And obviously, it's not like they're they're saying out loud, oh, we like the role playing necessarily, but you find them start doing that and that's what they're doing. And they kind of forgot about the, you know, coming into the game, wanting to be accumulators or something like that. You know, is, is that I, I think what so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we first started, uh, half the group didn't know each other. So three were friends and two were, were, were individuals. And so it took a while for that group to kind of gel. But what I found was puzzles and, and traps and mental conundrums, were frustrating them quickly and they would resort to dice rolls to solve them. They wouldn't actually try and work them out themselves. The acting element, they all they started to really love and you could see that start to emerge with the use of accents and character um, attributes. And they would continuously talk amongst themselves about how to improve each other's character how you could do things better, how they could fight better together, how they could work better as a team, optimising their strengths. And once I, and once you start to see those things come back to you um, on the other side of the DM screen, you start to go, oh, okay, these, this is the stuff that they're really into. And then you can tailor the game towards that. So, yeah, they, they weren't all the same when they first started, for sure. They, they absolutely changed their play style as the game went on to kind of storm as a team, if you, if you want to take that team building exercise terminology storm, storm and norman <laughs> that's it um yeah th that's a good point and just I, like obviously i think here is that there's no one size fits all right i mean you're gonna have groups like james said you're gonna have groups where the people are just while they might have some common things they just have those different play styles mm -hmm. so i i think it is it is having good having an open mind and being flexible necessarily based on the, the composition and if you know them well right um, but to your point, as far as a party-based thing, another thing that at least I've seen in my own experiences and in, in groups, what can happen later in the game to kind of get people excited about again, or to give them kind of a new breath of fresh air, is introducing some type of party, I don't even know what to call this, uh, kind of like they now have an airship, right? They now have a, a base. Like, yeah. This is a party reward, and I think we may have even talked about this before. I've definitely talked about this with Carl before um, a bunch, but it, kind of having the, the a party character thing that they can all invest in 
and that they can then put energy into and then like, oh, we want to acquire this thing for this. And, and it opens up new possibilities for them. That can be a really good thing to throw into a later campaign where maybe things have gotten a little stale, um, not for nar narratively, but like mechanically or the way they've been playing, right? The challenges we were talking about. So that's another little thing that at least I, as a player, when that happens later in the game, it does get me more motivated and I get more excited again because here's this new thing that we can all work towards or invest in, right? After we already have our magic items and everything. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And and I think also just keeping an watching, um, you know, the the it's harder to do online to get that body language and under and see okay. where people are. But I you know, I I I have a regular group that I play with now and I, I kind of uh, starting to get where they're coming from um, a little bit. And it seems like the same players have certain desires and, and they'll disengage if they don't get these desires met. And if you can, as a game master, feel that energy, you can start saying, well, I, I'm, they're not enjoying the combat part. Uh, you know, I know I have yep. one player that still doesn't understand how to sometimes do combat. And I don't, I think it's because they just, it's not, exciting sometimes right so it's much more interesting for them to role play out and i and I, so i have to constantly think about how i cycle these different interesting things based on the style right so um you know there's a, some puzzles there's some combat you know if we go a couple sessions without combat some people are going to get trick trigger uh itchy trigger fingers and we need to think about that give that role play cons because like eric loves to role play with the other players and having a chance for them to do that um and i you know i got to work on that now we've got us they've got a spaceship and they're traveling so there should be plenty of downtime to interact i hope so i hope and um uh so 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 my big thing is is give people kind of what they want and if the party starts vectoring into something like eric mentioned they're all going after a spaceship or something then that becomes kind of what you were saying james now there's suddenly sort of a shared mm. you know uh what's the term i'm looking for the, the the party itself has a gaming style now that they're vectoring in to that you can now feel that energy and and it probably makes it a little easier because now you don't have to worry about too much to disparate ways people are thinking now you can focus on sort of this one one thing in the long game as opposed to the short game it's really kind of giving people each those individual desires met um and whether it's you know rewards or whether it's just the 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 being able to hang out with friends and you know talk to them in certain ways or whatever right so um and you will still have you will still have your outliers for sure i mean you know i think every group you could pick the person who is the person who adores the role play you know you will pick the person who is desperate for the combat and as long as you're giving equal measure to those as the game goes on then then generally you're keeping a finger on the pulse i do love you you mentioned just straight up asking them i think that 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 is a great short circuit. Uh, the lazy DM, Sly Flourish, one of the people that I kind of look to for advice every now and then, um, he has uh, something that he calls Stars and Wishes where he will ask a group periodically every three or four sessions what the star of the show has been so far and then what they wish would happen more often. 
as, as a way to figure out the player motivation. So you can see, you know, the star might be, uh, you know, we love when we get to role play downtime or I really liked that combat or our more or the, this particular role play session or this particular upbeat within the game and the wish could be the thing that they, that they, that they yearn for the most. So, yeah, asking your players. Who, who would have thunk it? Actually, communication it um, it, 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 it bears out. <laughs> it, it's so it's such a nice way of saying the old business term of doing a retrospective. <laughs> Stars yeah. and wishes is so much better than what went well, what didn't go well, and what can we improve upon. And let's write it up in a report. Well, it, <laughs> well import, importantly, he doesn't ask what didn't go well. He just says, "What did you love, and what do you wish you would have more of?" Rather than what what am I terrible at, and what do you want to see gone? Um, so it's 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 the positives only <laughs> retrospective which is which is great love it love it that that uh that sly guy he's got a lot of uh good ideas <laughs> all right so um any other things from a gm perspective you know in in that you guys want to kind of chat about uh, before we start talking uh, about players and what motivates them or how they can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I think I think you touched on a little bit in terms of the the sessions and making sure you're keeping things fresh. But often, when you're creating campaigns or you're creating adventures, it's it's actively when you're writing your scenes and writing your session prep to be actively mindful of the different player types and the different player motivations and making sure that you are. Doing the best you can to provide the even spread of that stuff. I think I think that that's important. Um, but also, don't forget you're talking. We're talking about players, not just characters. So, giving time to talk or time around the table to um, tease out some of this stuff. For example, the power gamers that I play with love nothing more than talk about optimis- optimization. And so just spending or allowing five or 10 or 15 minutes of time each time you have a game session where you can just kind of shoot the breeze about optimization. And and because when we're talking players, we're not necessarily just talking about the time that you're spending in game. We're, we're, we're talking about the time we're spending together in a lot of ways. So you, you can be fulfilling some of the players' motivations, you know, kind of in, in the breaks between the game, in the, in the little warm-up beforehand. You can be talking the interesting stuff that you know that they're interested in in those times. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, oh, yeah. Ab- it absolutely does. I mean, that's that's the key. I, I think that's where I was trying to go, and you, you said it very eloquently, is, is how do you take all those elements for the different styles, kind of mix them together that everybody gets a piece of what they're looking for that motivates them to come to the table and play, hanging out with friends, um, you know, shooting the breeze. Um, we do that in our game. Sometimes we'll go a good 15 minutes before we start while people are just kind of catching up and everything. Um, mm. And there's, there's, a, there's a story template that focuses a little bit on that. And I, you know, I talk about this all the time, the five-room dungeon and that whole concept is about each element of the dungeon is a little bit different there's an entrance which might be a trap it might be a hazard it might be something you have to figure out somebody you need to talk to then there's a puzzle or a role-playing challenge then there's a trick a a combat opportunity then there's the climax where there's the big combat um or whatever it is so and then there's rewards and revelation where people maybe discover new things and be able to use those science skills or those research skills or something to do something. And so 
the whole point of the fire, and I won't go through it any more depth than that, but the there's ways that people have come up with the adventure design that helps kind of bring all those elements together. Um, as you're thinking about the scenes you're putting together, you there there are some structures out there that'll help you think through that. Not just the hero's journey, right? I mean, there's there's other structures. <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 well researched and well documented things. The five room dungeon is a great example of how you mesh different play styles so that it's appealing to everyone. Absolutely, Carl. Yeah, good suggestion. All right, excellent. So I think there's a lot um, a game master can do, but what about the players? Now we're talking about how we motivate players, but the players have a piece here. So what what do the players bring to the table? Um, you know, from a from maybe you know motivating the game master or self motivating themselves. So I, I, Eric, you are a player. The player. Um, extraordinaire here. I'm just curious uh, if you've got some thoughts to kick us off with. Um, I mean, well, I, okay, going back to, and I don't know if you guys were buying what I was selling before, but going back to like the kind of specific abilities or smaller backstory stuff that gets overlooked or seems niche, like niche things, which I mm -hmm. always see personally as like I get excited when those things become relevant um, in some way. And I think we've talked about this on the uh, on Tabletop Tango before, Carl. I think when we were reviewing Savage Pathfinder, but there was like some niche abilities. And the, the thing as a player to do, bes besides you know actually talking to the game master, which of course is a valid thing to do, is you know like you said, James is saying you know these wishes and uh, stars and stars and wishes, right? Uh, the player has to write those things. <laughs> like, really think about it. Like, bring, you know, mm. meet them halfway. I think that's, like, obviously the first thing to say. But besides that is sometimes you have to almost sort of create the situations yourself to utilize these kind of um, small abilities that might get overlooked. So this is almost not so much as, like, helping the game master, but you are. I mean, you could remind me. This is almost a subtle way to remind them. But you're also kind of creating your own reward here where, like, you're setting yourself up. So as an example, the thing that me and Carl were talking about before was a shadow-based archetype or it was like a shadow-based prestige class. And we were like, you know, this is pretty niche and like you never get to use this. And then we kind of discussed how, well, you can really set yourself up to be able to use these kind of cool things, whether this is combat or an exploration or in role-playing, which are my kind of three main pillars when I look at things, how I break them down. Um uh, you can kind of create those situations that that, that can that can then capitalize on those things. So it, this is not really maybe the most uh, specific to what we're talking about, but I still kind of think think it's tangential. At least like um, when I think about rewarding player, getting myself excited, it's it's often these underlooking uh, underlooked abilities. Um, and then with same with backstory, you know, like saying like, hey, I. I have this part of my backstory. Would this apply? And maybe give an example of what might apply. Like getting creative with things that you haven't explored before and kind of giving the game master that. It's like, again, it's always going back to the yes and, right? Or just kind of passing yep. the ball back and forth. But sometimes, like we talk about the game master has a lot on their plate. They're not just handling the story. They're also doing all of the you know, mechanics of, of the, the, the NBCs and setting up the maps and all this stuff. So when you as a player can kind of provide almost like inspiration back to them, you know, because based on your own player, or your mechanics or whatever, it can actually help the GM like think of new things or uh, think of a different uh, 
spin to a situation. I think one of the reasons me and Carl like Savage World so much is that um, there is a lot of that. And like, especially with something like dramatic tasks, there's a lot of creative selling of skills, why they might apply for a certain situation. Uh, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, when I critically failed that, you know, I was really trying to use different skills every time to, to have a creative solution to this thing. And one of them was using my powers of summoning creatures to almost be like, uh, I forget what it's called, but when like a spaceship fires off a, a ship or like a plane fires off a gaff or, you know, um, chaff, a chaff, I guess. Yep. Like using these summoned <laughs> creatures as chaff. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I, so I had the cargo bay open. And that's what I was doing. And that created no. this horrible situation. Yes, exactly. This created this horrible situation, which got what, me into trouble. But that. What, so, what kind yeah. of animals? Are we talking pandas or squirrels? No, the, no or... these were like, it, <laughs> it was, it was a, uh, an armband that was um, a, a fictional uh, role playing game. Like, but you could create like full NPCs. So these were like his weird versions. I had like, instead of an owl bear, it was a, it was a dog cat bear because that was kind of oh. some of the play. Yeah, some weird, creepy creatures. Anyways, weird uh, this was a lot, of, a little bit long winded, but I just wanted to kind of touch on that. And then, uh, yeah. So, in my mind, motivating. This is about motivating yourself, right? If you're playing, so yes. how do you how do you yeah. motivate yourself to get the most out of the game? And it's an interesting. If if I asked most of my players and said, "Why do you play these role playing games?" They would say, oh, "For fun." But that, that would be the main reason. And I, I imagine they would say, by and large, everyone would have their first response. But having a little bit more understanding about what it is you're actually trying to get out of each game, um, I think is a, a really good starting point as a player. Um, when I played my three-year-long campaign of Dungeons & Dragons, I was pretty clear with the Dungeon Master. I said, I, I, I run five, six games a week. I just want a game where I can hit things and not think too hard. And so for my for my dungeon master, he was like, okay, I think we can do that. So the other players were all about the lore and the role play and everything like that. I was very much about rolling the dice and getting into fun combat and just being just uh, letting off a little bit of steam. And when he knew that that's what I was after, every second session I had a ridiculous combat that was just out of this world crazy and it, he knew that he uh, he was filling my cup in some ways just by by doing that kind of stuff so having a little bit of a moment where you get an understanding about what it is that makes you tick and no no two games are the same you might you might say actually next game i'm really after a more role-playing challenge and i want to be doing yeah. more role-play stuff or i i really do want to see if i can you know make this bard paladin multi-class work in an optimized way it might change each time, but having a good understanding as a player about what it is that floats your boat, I think, is, is an important thing. And I think you hit it right on the head. Um, when I put in the notes, self-motivation, is people sometimes do not really be honest with themselves. It's like you're playing the game to have fun. What is your fun? Um, yep. And if you're not getting it, then you need to not suffer in silence and you need to have those conversations and, you know, the stars and wishes and all that sort of things. But you, you got to just think to yourself, you know, don't, don't try to say, well, it's a role-playing game, so I should be a great role player and do this. And it's like, no, if you just want to bash stuff and take their stuff, you know, it's, it's fine. That's your fun. You know, just, just own it, right? That's what you want to do. And that's, what's going to be fun for you. And don't feel pressured that you're supposed to be doing something else you should be another different type of player just because, you know, it's, that's what people expect or whatever, or that's what you're expecting yeah. of yourself. You know, just, um, just own what you think is exciting. Like for me, I, 
I get excited when I get an opportunity to do like push the envelope of my character. That's why when I play the when we were in the game with Eric and I played, I was doing multi actions all the time. And in Savage Worlds, multi actions give you a penalty whenever you do it. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. This person's going to do these two things, and they want to do them, and they're going to. And I don't care. My motivation was just to try this stuff out and not. And I was honest, I'm going to fail. So if I really wanted to succeed all the time and that was what motivated me, well, then I wasn't going to have a good time thinking that that's what I needed to do. So um, so really, that's that's a great thing that players can do now. Um, any other thoughts I, on I, that before I, I talk? I have another tip. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I have another tip. And this is more um, for, for players. And, and you might not always have a game master who's going to be this game master that James is talking about, who's not going to always you know, try to be aware of all the things that that everybody wants to get out of the game and kind of just does their own thing. And so in general, I mean, this is just something that I do. Whenever I make a character, I always, because I like being engaged and I don't have, not that I have to be like engaged with every scene. Uh, of course, I, you know, what I might struggle with it sometimes, I, I want people to have the spotlight and I like getting, you know, involved with other people's stories. But I, but at least when I'm making character, I always want to have something I can do in combat, and something that I can do out of combat. Like I want to have my niche out of combat, and I want to have my niche in combat. And having a character that has those things means that no matter what the game master's doing, because they might not, you know, play the play to you what you want to play, uh, you'll always have, or most of the time, you'll have something that you can do or contribute. Uh, based on your character, you can be engaged in some way. So I think there's almost some foresight there of like making a more well-rounded character, I guess, unless mm -hmm. you like you're James and you're like, I just want to be, uh, you know, bam, bam, stupid guy. And your, your game master listens to you. You know that he will and he'll take care of you. But you don't know has have that chance, especially now with all the people that are out there. All, you know, there's never been more game masters and you're you're playing online. You don't know these people, right? Uh, you don't know them in real life. So um, it's hard and they might not listen to you. So th that's just something that I'll say is a you know just have some foresight and having a flexible character so you can hit those you know two out of three pillars of play right you can have something to contribute at least two out of three um is it, yeah great yeah that makes sense Sorry. absolutely okay. absolutely <laughs> and if you if you do come across one of those games masters send them immediately to mastering the rpg and we can give you <laughs> them advice on how to motivate their damn players <laughs> so speaking of game masters so we talk a lot about how game masters can motivate how players can motivate themselves. Now, what about the what about the poor game master? How can players <laughs> help be part of the motivation? Because I let's be yeah. honest, we said that right. Game mastering is a tough job. Um, there's ways of making it easier, but I, I you know I read Reddit, the D and D forums all the time, and I don't know how many times I read something where the, the game master is saying it's not fun for me anymore, or I'm burned yeah. out, or yes. you know I'm just not having it's not enjoyable. And part of it's because the players are X, Y, Z, you know? Um, so what can, what should a player do to, um, other than geez, level up your character before you come to the session? Okay. Besides that, <laughs> um, what other kind of things can, can a player do to help motivate the game master? What do you think, James? Oh God, this is, a, it's a long list of, these are my stars and wishes, aren't they? My, 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 as a guy <laughs> exactly, who runs games right, all yeah, the time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, well, I think there's a reason why one in eight players are are a games master. So that, that's why there aren't as, ma as many games. Like that's why games just don't form because they can't find a games master. Um, there's two main things for me. First one is be nice and thank you, game master, as a lot. 
you need to thank them. And and often that's all, it, it can be a very thankless job because people forget to do it. Um, thanks for the game. That was awesome. And I really liked this bit is a really good way to end a session, uh, to thank your games master and give them a highlight about the things that they liked so that at least there's there's an understanding from this side of the chair about what it is that's working for you. The second one for me is is the lean in. It's, it is the yes and. It's the excited lean in to the story that you're being offered, I think yeah, is the important yeah. thing. Um, there is nothing better than uh, than players that will actively support the story that you're saying. And and for me, that's the number one motivation. If If you can just be playing the game and leaning into it as hard as you can, that's enough to motivate me. Um, yeah, even if, that, the, even if the plot hook's a little wonky, and it maybe yeah. I mean, come on, uh, go for it. You know, put the, be that fish and just grab that hook. And um, I, I find that as a game master, when I'm a player, I always I'm hearing the game masters like I feel like they want us to do a thing. You know what? I'm going to go do that thing and see what happens because I get the feeling that's what they want. So, yep, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely what I was going to say. Obviously, buy buy into what they're selling. I mean, I mean you, you don't always have to do that, right? I mean, if your character wouldn't, it's just totally against what they're doing. But you can still find workarounds often. But yeah, I mean, you can often tell the GM really wants this or is excited about something. I mean, that's the thing is like they might be excited about something or excited about a character. Here's one thing I've definitely seen, and that is let the GM like if they have a character that they want to show off or you know is going to start monologuing. <laughs> yeah. Don't just, don't just, you know, shoot them right away. Let, let the GM have their, like, you can often tell uh, uh, when the GM is like, I'm so excited to, to have this, like, you know, funny villain that's going to monologue. Like, don't just shoot them in the face right away. Unless you really know the GM and they think it was funny. You know, they put effort into it and they may, they, may, they want to have fun too, right? So um, I think it's also just kind of like slowing down, maybe paying attention. Um, if you're seeing, like, I, I feel like I've been in a lot of games and I, I, th I think I have a good, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to honk my own horn here, but I think I have a good um, ability to uh, be empathetic. I, I have a good, like, emotional awareness. And so I've seen in games, like, I, I can usually tell. I've been in a lot of different games, and I can tell when a GM is burning out. Like, I don't know how many times I've I've seen it, and I've asked other players, and like, no. And then inevitably that person is kind of getting burned out. Um, you know, it's, as a player, you could almost, like, Message them, hey, are, are you feeling burnout? It's something that I could be doing different. Like, again, it's that communication, right? Because we all want to have the, the game to be fun. And I think it's the thing that I know so much, if the game master's not having fun, you're not going to have a game. So you really have to take that to heart of like, the, you want the game master to have fun. So what can I do to, to provide the game master some fun, right? Um, so it's kind of just getting to know what they like. Uh, again, you don't have to do this always, but... Just, just be aware and pay attention and communicate. Um, yeah. I mean, I that was just pretty much piggybacking what you guys were saying. Yeah, but, and I, yeah. I think that leaning in, I, I really appreciate when players give me an opportunity to explore something that I want to explore. Um, I think we've talked about this previously. I'm, I'm big on, I come up with, a, there's this concept I want to explore, like, you know, digital dark age. What does that mean? And when my players are like, you know what? Yeah, let's go explore this. We're not really sure that that's what we're doing yet because it's the start of the game. But as this stuff starts coming out and lean into it and go, yeah, I really, 
I, I, you know, I really want to work with you on that and, and discover this world. I, I was flabbergasted that our last campaign, everybody said, hey, let's go back into that world that you created and, you know, fast forward a few years and see what happened now that as we're – that felt really good that they explored that world with me, this concept, and they got something out of it. The last thing I, I guess for me to motivate, and I've just been thinking as I go along, and and a lot of it's about the energy that the players have on the table as well. Oh yeah, it's yeah. um, it's it's being attentive, being enthusiastic. There's nothing is there nothing better than enthusiastic players that are really into what you're doing, and and sometimes as a, as a storyteller, you're carrying that enthusiasm on your own. You're trying to force that into the, you know, and often it's, it can be a hard sell. And so having players that are, are willing to be enthusiastic and energetic at the table, I think, is an absolute blessing. Yeah. So do, do more of that. Have more energy. And on that, and just, just again, the last thing, and we've talked about this so many times, but like session zero, creating a character, like ask the GM questions. Like get your character involved in the narrative. Get your character involved in the world. If you're not sure about something, like ask them the questions and really understand what the game is going to be like. Like I've had this not with Carl or uh, James, but I've had this with other game masters who just didn't give me that much. I'm like, and I'll have to be like, what's the elevator pitch? Almost like what, yep. what, what's going on? Like you've given me so little, like I really want to know. And then, and then just asking them questions. And then that might even motivate them more like that. They're not realizing that they're kind of, you know, maybe forgetting that, but getting my character, you know, plugged in and, uh, complements the kind of style of game that they want to run because you don't always know that, right? So you, sometimes you have to meet them halfway because they they're doing all this other stuff. So oh, so making a character that kind of complements or plugs in some way, yeah, to just have long term benefits for keeping the game master happy and meshing well. Here, here, awesome. <laughs> Keep your game master happy. Bring, bring you bring the snacks. Don't expect them to bring the snacks. Yeah. That'll be also highly motivating. <laughs> yeah, that's motivating. true too. Yeah, that's true too. You, you buy it, yeah. <laughs> now you can't do that online, but you know it's it's do your best you can, I guess. So, um, that's right. all right. Well, great. Thank, hey, thanks, guys. That was a great uh, great discussion there, and and thanks, Gary, for sending in uh, an email. Appreciate that. So. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn about all of our projects, what we're working on, contact us, and, of course, support us so that we can keep doing this. Um, please email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com if you've got a question, need some advice. Eric would love to do some adjudicating of differences <laughs> of opinion in your game group. And we're also on Twitter at MasteringTheRPG. That's all one word. Um, if you like the show, please help out with a positive review, subscribe to it, um, all that good stuff. And we would uh, really greatly appreciate that. And so once again, this is Carl with Eric and James saying good night. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Happy gaming.